You're listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves in the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe and Vince. Last week, Nintendo revealed their big announcement that everybody's been waiting for a while now, and that is, of course, their next console. It is actually going to be called Switch, and we did not get a ton of information. However, it certainly elicited some pretty strong responses from people. For the most part, the responses that I saw were overwhelmingly positive. However, as is apparent from their stock diving down, if I'm not mistaken, I read 7%, there was still... A lot of trepidation because not enough was said about it. And while most of the people in my social media feed adored it and could not wait to get their hands on it, I was actually surprised when finally Joe was chit-chatting with me over AIM and we were kind of agreeing that while in the minority... We're a lot more skeptical about this unit. Now, just to break it down, I'm sure you have seen the video, but just in case, of course, they are blending in mobile and home console in... It is a unique way, whether it's... Again, it's a gimmick. Obviously, it is. That's what Nintendo does. I would argue that it's not unique anymore, but we'll get to that. Well, yes and no. I mean, the the what they're doing with the splitting of the controller to then snap on the the the, the LCD screen and be Nvidia's- able to take that, and then the also that each side of the controller can be used independently for certain games as well. Like there are certainly unique elements to it. Put it that way, then. Yeah, I would even argue that that's not unique either because those controllers have existed for phones and tablets by third-party companies in China and Japan for the last couple of years. Those aren't new. You can buy a case that actually controllers like a Bluetooth controllers slide onto the side of your iPad or your Samsung tab. Those have been around for a couple of years. Like it's not, it's not new. It's not revolutionary. See, Joe obviously doesn't like this idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I, it's not that I don't like it. I like the idea of having a console that can go from, you know, the transition from home to to mobile to plugging in somewhere else. I like the idea of it. And I like the idea that they it almost seems like they want to try to bring back social gaming face to face. And I'm all for that. My problem is, is a couple things. One, this technology is nothing, you know, breaking, right? Like the NVIDIA Shield has been around. Hell, NVIDIA is making this fucking product for them. Like, this is powered by NVIDIA. Yeah, this no, is no, basically yeah, yeah. a shield. So that was a huge success, wasn't it? Oh, wait, it wasn't. The NVIDIA shield bombed horribly because of lack of third-party support, uh, dodgy controls, horrible programming, uh, and flimsy build, flimsy build quality. Uh, so now Nintendo's just buying that basically from them and saying, yeah, let's just, let's just take that on because they don't feel like they can – I don't understand if they just feel like they can't compete in the home market or if they're trying to break into the mobile market like super hardcore – but it's just it's I don't think it's the right move for Nintendo. I think Nintendo is trying to march to the beat of their own drum again in the wrong direction. Like they're running away from the war. They're not like going towards the battle. See, that's and something that I was saying. I believe I said it to you. I know I said it online uh, on Twitter. What I wanted to see from this console was a console. 
I wanted to see yeah. something that was on par with the PS4 and the X1, maybe even a little stronger, that would entice third-party developers to finally really dedicate a lot of attention to the unit. Fuck the gimmicks. Screw that shit. And I know that they want their cake and eat it too by having this be their mobile replacement to the 3DS eventually. But you know what? I think that's the wrong move as well because nobody's going to walk around with this fucking thing like they try to make it seem people will do well, in the trailer. I mean, it's also really hard to do with you know, only a three-hour battery life. I'm, you know. Well, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> I still just don't think people are going to do it. Because, again, you and I, we have that Wii U. Can you mm-hmm. see yourself walking around with that goddamn thing? Put, Hell no. It's it's not going to happen. You're not like within the house for sure. And especially if you've got kids or if you are um, if you are part of a gaming family, which we all are now kind of thing where somebody can just pick it up and go in another room. Sure. Whatever. The, for that kind of thing is cool. But again, it's such a gimmick. And you brought up the hardware thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're techs. So I <laughs> Whenever I see something where there's going to be a lot of repeated clicking and unclicking and and putting it back in kind of thing, oh, something's going to. I break. see potential hardware problems. I see not even potential. I see hardware problems. It's going to happen. And well, then, not only that, you have a bezel. You have a bezel-less screen essentially that you're carrying around with you. And if you look at it with the way they showed it, if that is to be believed, which I'll, I'll make a comment about that again in a little bit. Uh, it's bezel-less, which means that's glass-to-glass, corner-to-corner, edge-to-edge, which means you drop that in the wrong way, it's going to fucking crack. I don't care how strong that glass is. That's good. You're going to have problems with it. And then what do you do at that point? Because if it's anything like any other Nintendo product, do you know how hard it is to swap a broken screen on a Wii U tablet? It's a fucking pain in the hard at all. You just go buy a new Wii U. <laughs> it's, it's cheaper to buy a new Wii U t- tablet than to replace the goddamn screen. Vince, what did you think of the announcement? Conceptually, I love it because it's what I've been thinking Nintendo needed to do generations ago because I understand your displeasure that they're not trying to match Sony and Microsoft, but hardware-wise in the home console market, Nintendo hasn't been at that top tier since... 1993 yeah but it's been like, hurting them for a while too because of I, that. I know but but we have to accept that this is nintendo's business model this is the way they want to do it we can wish they do better but we can't be upset when they don't we just have to accept that this is how they do things on a different type well, of should I be upset if I want this it. this is passionate not upset there's a difference <laughs> okay yeah, fine but at the same time they have been the leader in the handheld gaming market for almost as long as there's been a handheld gaming market. Yeah, so that's changing real fast with smartphones. This is true. And but at the same time, I still don't see, you know, Nintendo's handheld line going anywhere anytime soon. They might be losing some market share, but they are still the yeah, place to I go for it. it. I would agree I, with that. No, I disagree. So, Not with smartphones the way they are now. And I think that the smart thing for them to do was to go to dive but, into smartphones as their mobile market now instead of I still of don't see any developer making a game for mobile that isn't, you know, a mobile game. They are so few and far between. Actual, like, gaming experiences on a handheld device is still being made for the DS and occasionally the Vita. Yeah, but Nobody is making a 
a full game Bullshit. Well, on, the, Bullshit. on those phone platforms. You can, yet, you can right? look no further than Oceanhorn, which is a straight-up Zelda ripoff and glorious in every possible way. Right, but It you, can but be done and people are doing, doing it. it. EA's but they, not doing it. You know, Activision's not doing it. Ubisoft's not doing it. They're just churning out their little mobile ports. They're still continuing to make full game experiences for the DS yeah, and the Vita well that, for a reason. That raises me raises a concern that I want to talk about too. Very shortly after that Nintendo Switch reveal, uh, there was a whole bunch of hubbub around Bethesda going, yeah, nothing's confirmed, which was one of the big things that they were showing was decades old games at this point almost. Like, and, still and then, selling Skyrim in 2016. And, trying, and trying to sell Skyrim, which, uh, and everybody's like, oh, it's going to be the new HD one that just released like this month. And but this is like, no, we there's nothing. We haven't confirmed anything. And then they're promising all this third party support. When have they done that before? And that hasn't blown up in their face. Oh, wait, I can name at least two consoles that they promised third party support that never actually fucking happened. Basically, you know what this- I would have rather seen? And I think you're right. And I think that they should have focused on the mobile market part of it. But I think what they should have done is they should have focused on where Sony dropped the ball. And that is the continuous play between the PlayStation and the Vita. They should have looked at a way for something like that between a home console and the new Nintendo 3DS, which is a very powerful piece of handheld hardware that I just bought that is Mm -hmm. absolutely glorious and has a lot of possibilities behind it. And I think that would have been the smart way to do it. That's not incorrect. I also had a second part to that statement. As much as I love it conceptually, what we're actually seeing in the execution and Nintendo's complete lack of information about it is very troubling to me, which leads into a lot of what you guys just said. Yeah, see, for me, and and I'm sure uh, Joe feels the very same way, because as much as I have had fun with some games on my Wii U, and obviously that's going to be the console upon which I buy the new Zelda game. So it's not like I want to necessarily get rid of it. There's still going to be some stuff to play on it. But if I, given the choi- the chance, I probably would go back and not buy it. Save that mm-hmm. money, not buy it because it simply was not worth it. And the initial purchase was partially made with that promise of look at all the third party developers that are still going to be, that are now going to be making games for this and it's going to be fantastic. And then you're thinking, Oh shit, this is going to be awesome. Then case in point, that was around the time they were talking about Batman as well, which I'm trying to remember if it was, that would have been for city. I'm guessing. I think it was Arkham city. Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking at, okay. But even so then, that's that gonna... was like a year after Arkham city had come out. on Exactly. The other consoles. But it was one of those, okay, well look at what'll happen because you'll mm-hmm. have that other screen. It'll be cool. And this and that. And then again, it was a gimmick that third party developers simply did not latch onto. And so we didn't see that. So when I'm looking at this and I'm, I'm seeing gimmick. That's a fucking, I keep using this example, of various thing. It's a Wii U in a pretty black dress. And that's all that is. And so it still is going to have the same pitfalls. I would lay down money on it that it's not going to have all of those third-party games. And it's going to be a gimmick that people tire of fairly quickly. But you see, just to play devil's advocate here, with the Wii and the Wii U, they were gameplay gimmicks. This is standard gameplay with a traditional controller-type setup. We're assuming it's it's a hardware gimmick. So, you know, you're you're making an assumption. Well, the Wii U is a hardware gimmick, too. We don't know. That's the problem. We don't know. We don't know if there's going to be motion gimmicks and stuff like that when you're 
latched onto the tablet or with the controller itself because uh, some, we didn't some, get to no, see some enough. Of the, some of the reports I've read from uh, sources through developers have said it has touchscreen and motion functionality, but that's not part of the actual design concepts. Like it's probably there for reverse compatibility reasons. I don't know. Like it's it's one of those things where Nintendo. I really want to love you guys. I really do. And I was really hopeful that you'd come back into the home console market a little bit stronger than this. The showing is, I think, going to disappoint you. And again, and I hate to say this, NVIDIA tried this already. They tried this and failed. This is why they pulled all of the NVIDIA Shield products off the shelves across everywhere in the world. Not because of your deal with them. Don't think you're that special. They just told you that you're special, but you're really not. <laughs> they failed. They failed miserably. Wow, Joe, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> I, I just, I don't want this to be the death knell of Nintendo, and I'm really worried that they're oh, going to they sink can, so much. They can, they could lose money for decades for years, and still Joe. be all right. I, you know what? Though? I, 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 I trust. I'm on your side I here. Hate I hate to say it, like it, it, deep inside, I don't want to let go of Nintendo, man. I don't. I, I, it bothers me immensely in terms of like what I would hope for them, and I understand I got no say in this, and you take what you get. But like, I look at this, and a walk through my home will let anybody know that I love new gadgets, and I do like gimmicky things as well and whatnot. However, like. Fool me once, shame on me. But here, this is the Wii U, essentially. So, and I got screwed on that one. And even going back to the Wii, that there was, yes, there was some fun early on. But man, when that dried up, it was completely barren. So, this is along the same path. So, as much as they're like, nah, we we march to the beat of our own drummer. Sure, or you could try to be more successful with your console now. And that means changing what you're doing. We've seen how Nintendo, or not Nintendo, sorry, Xbox, or Microsoft had to change so much with their Xbox One before the fucking thing was even released because they veered off the wrong path and people went, no, 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 that ain't going to fly. And so this is, I'm seeing the same kind of thing where I'm thinking, no, this has got too many things that can either A, go wrong that won't be supported or that won't just plain won't be used. I don't think the majority of people are going to snap that motherfucker out and walk around with it. They're just going to sit in front of their TV and play games. No, I, I, I totally agree. Like, so. <laughs> it, it's there, there's a lot of problems and a lot of questions that we don't have answers for because they don't intend to tell us anything more about this until next year. It yep. comes out in fucking March. Yep. It, you announce a new console, people want to pre-order it. Not So you're expecting people to pre-order based on a very fancy made and edited video and literally nothing else. I don't, I cannot, Nintendo has made a lot of missteps over the years as far as their marketing and that entire world of how they, they project themselves and how they think people are going to react to things. But I cannot wrap my head around the thought of we're going to put out a new piece of hardware and not tell anybody anything about it until two months before it's on the shelves. Like, that is absolutely ludicrous to me. The other thing that well, you know what it is, right? It's because if they give you the tech specs and they give you everything about it, they're going to show exactly what it is and nobody's yeah, going to get hyped. They for want it. everybody to pre order it. And then yeah. <laughs> once they announce it, there's no turning back. 
That's exactly what they want. Like the, we're seeing how Sony and Microsoft are continually tweaking their their consoles to make them yet more powerful because that's what the devs want as well, and that's what a majority of the gamers want as well. We can bitch about it because we own them, and it's like, God damn it, I don't want to have to upgrade. But the fact remains, everybody wants more power, and here's Nintendo going, no, that's all right. We're just going to give you a fucking screen with detachable controllers so that you can take it up on your roof and play with your friends. Like, because, that's going to fucking happen. Because <laughs> they, did, they did tip their hat a little bit, actually, on the NVIDIA blog. How so? Mm-hmm. What did you, what's, what's that? So this is just something I happen to know just from, from my everyday work. Um, they're talking about creating a whole brand new gaming infrastructure and API system, uh, which means that there's going to be a huge network like necessity here because if it's hitting an API to validate data... That's going to be horrendous. That could kill it right there because let's say you have to connect via a cell or Wi-Fi or whatever type of system to actually play your game while you're mobile. That defeats the entire fucking purpose. Mm-hmm. They because that's stupid. Well, because I mean that's what it is. Because even if it's a restful API, you have to hit that to validate. You have to hit that to get refresh updates or whatever the case is. And I wouldn't be terribly surprised if that's a new form of DRM or something that they have built in from Nintendo's end. That just fucks you on the backside. That's interesting. Now, the other thing that I found, too, was where they they said that it's actually not going to be backwards compatible either. Not mm-hmm. with the Wii U, nor with the 3DS as well. Which, that is a huge, huge fuck up. Look like, at how much shit Microsoft has taken for initially not having backwards compatibility mm-hmm. to the point where now when they introduce three new games that are going to be backwards compatible, people wig out and are excited for it. Like, that shit is important, and they're just completely dropping the ball on that. I, I can understand not being 3DS backwards compatible just because, you know, the lack of a second screen. I, I'm sure if they really wanted to, they, they could kind of make it work. That. If it's yeah, a touchscreen, that's not a problem. Yeah, it, I, 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 I'm not saying I like it but i i can see the reasoning for it but not being wii u backwards compatible like i i have been the one kind of you know not defending the lack of backwards compatibility but at least you know understanding why it doesn't exist because of hardware issues but nintendo needs this to be backwards compatible from a business standpoint and technology be damned they needed to make it work and they needed to do something for it I would actually argue you on the 3DS thing because that can be done. Fuck, that could be done on a, an iPad. You just got to split the screen. Yeah, they, and they, they would have had to change the form factor so you can hold it vertically. Like it, it it's something it's they could have deal. done. I'm not. I'm not saying like oh that it, it's you know. It, but uh, it's something they could have done and probably should have done. But now that they're this far, like I'm not surprised it's not 3DS backwards compatible. Well, I really feel like they just bought whatever nvidia sold them like the last gen shield that was supposed to be and was like we want that and let's just brand it nintendo and call it good and fuck backwards compatibility let's just go forward because I, I guarantee there is a part of and this is goes into what we said for years about nintendo's corporate culture of fuck you we're nintendo we're always going to be here and somehow despite their missteps you know they stumble across an amiibo or a pokemon go that you know keeps them relevant and keeps them flush with cash to keep making these mistakes so i guarantee you there was a part of the nintendo corporate structure probably the younger part let's say saying we need a new piece of hardware and then another part going okay 
but you can't spend any money on it. And going with the NVIDIA deal was the only way they could make it work. Probably. Well, we shall see. As we get more news, we will talk about it on the show. And, uh, and uh, I mean, again, as we get more information, there may come a point where we change our opinions on it. It is possible, depending on what they tell us. Although yeah. from what we have seen already, at least for me, it's highly unlikely that I will be picking this up right away, in all honesty, if at all. Because once again, my big thing is maybe it will do well right away because you'll have that rush of people. It's a new Nintendo console. They'll be excited. They'll pick it up because of the gimmick as well and things like that. There'll be a lot of people talking about how cool the gimmick is, that they can keep playing their fucking Zelda while they're on the crapper and then just seamlessly go back to the the couch and keep playing on the on TV. Fine. But it's not going to be until months later, many months later, where the 3D third-party games are still not there. They were promised, but they never show up. That's going to be the point where the sales dip and people are going to justifiably avoid the console. The other thing to keep in mind, and I'll say this briefly and then we can move on, unless you guys have a retort, is that with the Wii U, because this is something that... uh, I've talked to people online about that too. And when I brought up the, the third party developers, they, they said, well, I don't care about that. I only care about first party games. We had a huge problem with first party games for the <laughs> Wii U. We still have a we massive yeah, we're getting problem. This year. <laughs> yeah, right. One. <laughs> so there's a huge problem with first party games with current, the current console their console to me that speaks to no confidence then in terms of any future consoles as well like especially this one coming up i just have no faith whatsoever that it won't just be third party we won't get it'll be a sprinkle of first party games and and some of it shit that we just don't need to see Mm -hmm. and then that'll be that we're going to get a million Pokemon puzzle games for it, and that's going to be about the extent of it. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm just going to say I'm pretty sure this is going to be a hard pass for me. I don't think anything they can do is going to make me want to own the system in any way, shape, or form. I think that I thought that the NVIDIA Shield was a dumb idea. I thought the implementation was dumb to begin with, and nothing here is really selling me on the idea of having that sort of tabletish thing with a shit battery dragging around with me anywhere I go. It would have to be pretty damn cheap to consider it for me. I'm that. pretty sure even if they tried to give me a free one, I would tell them to go fuck themselves. Okay, well, I'm not that. Yeah, we're not that. I am. <laughs> I'm not that picky. Mr. I just got a raise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Yeah. Vince, you finally finished Knights of the Eternal Throne. What did you Fallen think? Empire. I'm not that far ahead. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. That's what I meant. Yeah. Fallen Empire. You finally finished it. What did you think? There were so many fantastic moments throughout that. Like it's something I forgot to mention last week because it is stuff and something. But when you get to Odison and like they have that little cutaway of Satil and Darth Mar. Like that, that was like the first holy crap moment of that for me. It was like, oh man, like the, the stuff with the emperor was cool, but like that was like really cool for me. And then that kept popping up throughout. I really enjoyed that. But a lot of like the big story stuff, like it, 
spoil. Spoil. It's been yeah, months. I know. I'm, ahead, I'm just trying to like wrap my head around some of the stuff because I still, I, I still can't believe everything they did with Scorpio. Like that was fucking amazing. That was to me again. I leveled up a Sith, um, or sorry, uh, Imperial agent. Uh, that was actually the second or first because I had a Sith Inquisitor and my agent going at the same time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who I finished, but man, when you finish that storyline, it is phenomenal for the agent. And then I'd finished each of the companions, and I loved Scorpio then because she is fucking fifty pounds of crazy in a ten pound bag. She is something else, and she wants to murderize you like constantly. <laughs> and then you got to work with her to like. Okay, am I going to give you enough control to make modifications to the ship? And I'm not talking about uh, Fallen Empire. I'm talking about the Agent 1 storyline. Like, there's shit that goes on. You're like, oh, my God. And it's phenomenal. So when she showed up as one of the legacy companions, let's call them, in Fallen Empire, I was all in. Because I wanted to see how she would interact with the rest of the existing crew and things like that. And then when you get to the... The portions where, like, she's sending you out to go after the other robots like her. All the stuff with the Gemini. God like, damn. It, like, especially when, you, uh, when you're finally invading to, like, try and take over the fleet and you're dealing with that other Gemini captain. Yeah. And seeing the difference in personality, but also the similarities. Like, it, that was handled so well and was completely unexpected for me going in because I thought it was going to be all, you know and what Arkin and Valen and all that stuff. And suddenly you have this amazing story about the robot uprising going on. Well, that's what I liked as well, because like you said, you've got, you've got Arkin going on, you've got emperor in your head, you've got shit going on with Valen. And especially as it is getting more and more towards the end of those chapters, shit with Valen's getting real. <laughs> and, yeah. Let me, let me tell you, I, at really no good. point playing that expansion was I worried about Arkin. Like, I knew there was going to be know, fish a final fry. confrontation. But like, <laughs> he, he never scared me. Anytime the threat of Valen showing up, like, if she was on the same planet as us, I was like, shit. <laughs> And that's, that's just true. Like character motivations. That's like, I don't want to fight her. She's too strong. She is strong and batshit crazy. Like, this is not good. So, yeah, what I love. She, she is my characters from other games yeah. taken to 11 is what she is. What I loved is that as crazy as that is, what winds up taking you down is a legacy companion. So -hmm. you got Scorpio taking the fucking throne. And when that happened, and when Valen shows up and she's like, no, no, that's all right. You can sit in the chair. I'm going like, damn. Okay. All right. (laughs) That's, we need eternal throne. Like now, because this, I need to know my, my only complaint. If I had played that, like when did the last chapter of Fallen Empire come out six months ago? No, no, no. A couple of months More back. recent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like... Oh, okay, okay. Because I, I'm thinking, like, because nothing really 
ended. Like it was obviously setting up, you know, the next expansion. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, knowing it only came out a couple months ago really lessens that criticism because, I mean, Valkorion just like fucked off and you never had a follow-up to that. Like there there wasn't a whole lot of resolution, but knowing that it was only a couple months ago, that changes that criticism. Yeah, there's only like two, three months in between these two that's going to wind up happening. I, I, I'm not okay. sure exactly how much it is, but it wasn't that, that long. And like that's I, something that I, I retract my criticism then. <laughs> yeah, because quite literally, I have nothing bad to say about the entirety of this expansion. They, uh, I watched the uh, the couple of live streams that they did last week, and one of the things that they talked about with Eternal Throne was that they wanted to actually get away from the chapter format. Not chapter mm-hmm. format so much as the when they release the chapters. Yeah, the staggered release. Yeah. So instead of doing one a month, they're going to just put them all in so that people can binge play them as they would a Netflix series. So I actually, I actually would have preferred if they would have kept up with the chapter per month because it gives you a reason to come back every month to play that chapter and move on and do some other things in between. So I kind of, I liked that formula. So it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things where, but I also think it's a smart decision to do it this way because if they have all the story content out in one big chunk, they can focus the team on other things like, you know, the high end raids and or operations that that they're missing from the fallen empire. Because as much as I don't care about any of that, there is a very vocal oh, part yeah. of the community that feels like Bioware is screwing them because they haven't had anything to do since uh, Fall of Revan. Yeah. Like so, so I personally I like the chapter format and the staggered rollout, but I think they're making the right decision here. As long as they do, in fact, follow through, which is what they said during yes. these live streams, they're going to try to focus alternatively from. Uh, group content and then PVE content and kind of switch between those two as they mm-hmm. go along. So if they can maintain a reasonable schedule for that, then that's fine. But the like the you you obviously you finally watched the trailer for Knights of the Eternal Throne. But before we get to Eternal Throne, there's a couple more Fallen Empire things I want to discuss. Oh, with you. knock yourself out! Yeah, yeah. Because I could talk about that shit for hours. I'm not joking. I know. <laughs> I I really enjoyed how much weight there was behind a lot of your decisions, like as it went on. And you could see like the buildup of smaller decisions you made earlier, like really came into play later on. Like, I don't know about you, but like I I know you've played it a couple of times on a couple of characters. Did Koth stick around for any of your playthroughs or did he always take off? He stuck around for both. Okay, because for me, like he he fucked off. He's like, no, I'm out of here. I can't deal with your crazy ass anymore. Wow, you got to be some bad to get to that point. I'm guessing. I did blow up a factory to cover my escape. (laughs) And you can't just toss that shit out casually. (laughs) Whenever Kaleo had a good idea, I told her to go with it. That's another one that I had so much fun with her, and yet again, so Imperial there was, Agent. There was a little too much collateral damage for Koths. <laughs> All right. So then, for me, when he came back near the end of like, you know, we may disagree, but I I need to be here to help you finish this fight. I'm like, okay, this could be cool. And then he steals the fucking ship. He mutinies and steals the goddamn oh, ship. Okay, I didn't get that. <laughs> he stole the gravestone. Oh man, I would be pissed at that. <laughs> That would piss yes. me off. 
Okay, so there are obviously very big plot points at like because that was the end. Like the after I defeated Arkin and we were going back to the gravestone, he's like, "Yeah, no, you're not coming aboard. I'll send your crew out in escape pods." And then he just takes the ship and leaves. Wow. Okay. I we had our 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 issues certainly, especially when Senya gets away, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. that happened for you as well. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm that's probably sure that's hard-coded. Yeah. yeah. But uh, when she gets away, I essentially kind of let her get away. And so. Oh, no. I, I tried my best. Oh, <laughs> he was not happy about that, let me tell you. No, he wasn't. <laughs> so there were a few points where he was not happy with I think me, but we he were stuck already around. already across the river at that point. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, for you, yeah, not so much for me. But no, he stuck around. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I don't know how it would be impacted with some of the other companions or if that's mm-hmm. the only major difference the one well because i know off. there was also the mission uh when you're trying to get the gemini signal where you can choose to send kaleo or eric yes and i chose kaleo and then of course you have all the other shit going on so that she had to end up going by herself instead of with you so the mission goes wrong and for me again uh Jorgen and Havoc team were on standby and they rushed in to save her and like it caused an even bigger clusterfuck like all of Havoc squad is dead it's just Eric Jorgen that's all that's left I I think Eric may have taken off on me I'm trying to remember now because he was not happy at that point with us uh, where you know like they they turned to me like well what do you do and I was like well I mean if he hadn't if he had followed orders Havoc squad wouldn't have died and like I you know they're like oh should we have a tribunal and you know me being me I'm like no my say is fine. Yeah. And then like I, everybody leaves the hangar and I'm just face to face with them. And the options were everything's okay. Leave and never come back or I'm going to kill you now. <laughs> <laughs> Those are different options than I think I got. <laughs> I actually went with you can stick around because I didn't want to lose another man. <laughs> like I'm thinking of it from like a tactical role playing point of view. It was like he learned his lesson. His entire squad is dead. The least, <laughs> the least interesting thing I can do is kill him. <laughs> so did you wind up romancing Lana? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I don't know what it would be like for characters who romance cough or cough. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea because I I did not. <laughs> So. When I come through on a less terrible character, it's going to be very different. I can tell you that much. Or Theron Chen, because I believe you can romance him as well. Yeah, he, he's he's romanceable. I don't think, well, no, Koth, he might be fully romanceable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. All right. Anything else? I think we're good. <laughs> okay. Knights of the Eternal Throne. Mm-hmm. You obviously watched the trailer? I can finally watch the trailer. <laughs> We've talked about their trailers since before the game came out. They have phenomenal trailers. I think this was the most powerful one I've seen so far from them. Yeah. It was amazing. I can only imagine how much more impactful it would be for a mother to watch or a daughter to watch kind of thing. To see that relationship between the two of them and how strained it becomes as well as she becomes more powerful. The the, the child becomes more powerful as she's grown up. And also the, the the again for Senya, just wanting to save her daughter and seeing her slip further and further away out of her grasp, it was an insanely powerful video. I absolutely adored it. Yeah, with no dialogue. Yeah, 
Yeah. So spectacular. Because they, they, there wasn't anything they could have said to have made it more impactful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe, are you still there? I'm sorry. I fell asleep for a little bit. <laughs> did you actually, I know you're not playing, but did you actually watch the trailer for Knights of the Eternal Throne? No, I haven't actually, okay. because I haven't playing it. I It's kind of like on the back burner of things that I was paying attention to. Okay. All right. No problem. Because it is something that if granted, you would have to also just watch the trailers for uh, Fallen Empire as well, just so that you know the family and what's going on. But it is it, it's spectacularly well done. And what it reinforced as well, and I don't know if it's a change of staff or it's just that they've refined their craft at Bioware. But when you are whether it's that trailer or when you are playing the game as well, Fallen Empire, one of the things that I really liked was how dramatic any little sim- cinematic was. And they really, f- they found their footing in terms of the cinematography of it, the camera angles, the mm-hmm. quote-unquote camera angles, and how it's framed and things like that. There were more shots from just brief little cinematics as you're playing Fallen Empire that wowed me than the majority of the ones in the entirety of SWOTOR, the legacy stuff. I just felt that it was so impactful and so well, not filmed because that's not what it is, but (laughs) but the cinematography behind it was fucking brilliant. I adored it. I mean, and that goes back to what I said last week of being able to make one really good story instead of eight less good stories, still good, but I mean, not to that caliber like i that's a huge win for them yeah did you watch the uh the live streams no i didn't have time okay so they were just basically talking about what is going to be coming along with the eternal throne one of the big things is the galactic command that they're going to be implementing and i've heard some people bitch about it but i kind of like the idea and all they're doing is they're stripping away a lot of the different ways that you can buy various gear now be it from drops and instances or rating for Mm -hmm. better and better gear or buying with tokens or different things like that and what they're giving you is a level that you're going to have and then as you gain levels you gain power and then you get crates with each level and then in the crates you're going to get gear and as you progress in levels and this goes for doing everything everything you do in the game will contribute to your level overall level kind of like a paragon level in diablo 3 kind of thing Mm -hmm. so you're going to continue to put points towards that and the harder the content you're doing the more points will go into your level so the same as is now the people who are doing the hardest content are going to get the best gear right away however the people who are just more casual will continue plucking away at it and eventually they too will get far more powerful gear and they were talking about the frequency at which you will be leveling and getting crates is actually quite a bit even if you're playing fairly casually they'd still like you to get you know within an hour they're talking about shooting for even a crate an hour if you're doing much harder Mm -hmm. content maybe two an hour and then yes you may get because of rng a belt in each crate but because you can take out the mods and different things from it, you can then apply that to a chess piece or whatever you want or need. So I really, really dig this idea. Plus, 
if you're, and that's only if you're subscribed, and that's going to be starting at level uh, seventy. But they're they're making it so that you, all you got to do is pull up your Galactic Command, and you can just hit an icon for the different things that you can do at level seventy, and it just makes it a lot easier just to bounce into whatever you need to do if you're only on for a half hour or an hour. Yeah, that's one thing I did really appreciate with Fallen Empire is how how much they respected your time. Yeah. Like when you had an alliance alert, like you didn't have to go back to base, talk to the NPC to go to the other planet. Like, no, you just clicked a button and you were there. Yeah. You finished it, you clicked another button and you were back. And they did the same thing with like all the mission terminals. Like everything was right there. I I enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. It's something that we're seeing more in other games as well, more MMOs where they understand that it, it's it's the mobile mentality of somebody's only going to have, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes to play. So let's make sure that we can gear towards that. But not just gear the encounter, but get them the fuck in there as soon as possible so that they can be doing those things. Like, these are things that will keep me in the game and subbed so that I can continue to quickly do these things. So I really, I dig it. And I like this idea that regardless of what I'm doing, it will contribute to getting better and better gear and as we've seen in overwatch and a lot of other games as well too it's fun getting the crate to open <laughs> you know <laughs> there's a certain amount of fun to that what's going to be in it this time kind of thing and there's going to be mounts pets different other things in there as well for you to to play with so i kind of like it and then they were talking about with Eternal Throne, we're looking at another five levels. So that's going to be fun. Some new class abilities. Again, some fun. Two new planets. One is going to be entirely new to the, the Star Wars canon. And one of them, while not in SWOTOR yet, has been in Star Wars. So that'll be cool as well. And then they're talking about there's going to be uprisings as well. There's going to be also one of the big things they talked about was the the dark versus light. Not the current event that's going on now that's going to be ending November, what is it? Uh, in November it ends. I can't remember exactly when. 29th. Is it the 29th? Yeah. Cause the, that's what uh, I've read, yeah. The double XP is going to be going until then as well. So, and, uh, but this is kind of that, the, the event now is kind of setting us up for what's going to be happening with Eternal Throne where the light and dark is going to be fluctuating basically per, per realm, per server, and the more dark choices that are made will then level up the the realm's dark side or light side. And when it reaches five, much like your character would, whatever your alignment is, so if you are even marginally light or marginally dark, you fall into that. Then at that point, if if for that period of time, which they're talking that's going to switch like every half hour to an hour kind of thing, because people are going to be constantly making those choices and then it's going to reset and start fresh again as people are continue to make those choices. If the winning condition matches what your alignment is, then you get a further boost to your level as you're getting you're ranking up your level. And as well, you can buy various items at that point from specific light or dark vendors in town uh, on the fleet and whatnot. So it's just another extra thing to keep that friction going between the, the light and the dark. So I thought that was kind of cool as well. Mm. So there's a there's a bunch of other stuff that they're talking about, like everything from. The, again, with that light versus and dark versus light, I keep switching it. Whichever condition wins, there's then going to be a bunch of bosses for that condition 
on various planets all over the place. So if light wins out, all of a sudden there's Jedi bosses on different planets that you need like 8 to 16 players to go and try to take down kind of thing. So That's cool. Yeah, there's some really neat things that they're going to be implementing that that should be fun. And I, I really hope it's going to be because I have a feeling like most people, once that expansion comes out, I'm going to be ripping through the chapters because there ain't going to be nothing slowing me down at that point. And then I'm going to need something to do to maintain my sub because otherwise it won't be worth it. So I, I really hope that they're going to push towards this content. Right. So let's move on to cards. <laughs> you brought up Shadowverse and it was like... I, I have not been playing it nearly as much as I should be, but I have played it on my tablet, on my, my iPad quite a bit. And I, I really enjoy this card game. I'm assuming you're playing on an Android tablet? I am not playing it at all, but I'm very uh, strongly considering downloading it on my Kindle tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I'll let you take over because you're the one that brought it up. Cause, yeah, because I remember we talked about it. Yeah way back when i think it was still in beta when we talked about it like yeah. i didn't know you'd continued playing it oh yeah i did yeah it's actually so, if, if i look at my show notes not the one on the site that you guys see but i keep a a, a a text sheet up on my screen all the fucking time that's what happens when you do a podcast people and in my pending is Shadowverse. <laughs> It was going to be coming up eventually because I have Shadowverse and Elder Scrolls Legends. I was waiting for a card show. So, but I digress. Go ahead. We've done like four of those. No, I'm talking it's a not full on fucking card show with nothing but cards <laughs> talked about. All right. So here with Shadowverse, we have a Japanese developed uh, digital collectible card game that has a great pedigree behind it of some of the design team, their former world champion Magic the Gathering players. So they're coming from this from a very high-level card-playing standpoint and making the game they want to play, which in a lot of ways it involves removing a lot of the RNG aspects. For example, like the the, the limit of three car- three copies of each card, like that's three copies of any card it could be a basic card or up to a legendary so it makes it a lot easier to build your decks around these really powerful abilities because you can reliably have that card in your hand at some point in just about every match so you're not it's not like okay this is a really cool thing that i can maybe do every once in a while Uh, same thing with random effects like this is very much a deck building game where you can come up with some pretty crazy stuff uh, tie that in with the class system where it, much like Hearthstone, you have different classes with different abilities, but a lot of these are like really interesting, unique abilities where you have secondary resources and a lot of things to draw on. And what I really found cool was a lot of these secondary resources have a way of taking low cost cards that if you draw it and turn 10 or whatever would be like annoying but it's a way to boost up these low cost cards to make them valuable in the end game with supplemental effects and all kinds of extra stuff. It, it's actually really cleverly designed. And like now that I've read more about it, it's like, okay, I really do want to try this game out because there was uh, an article on IGN this week talking about the new expansion that came out called darkness evolves and how <laughs> there's just these ludicrous end game decks that you can build the one that this article really focused on was about a card called the Instatued Seraph it cost eight play points you know mana 
to play, and it's what they call an amulet, which is a permanent on the field. What's cool about this is it has, uh, what do they call it, the last words text, which is uh, the death rattle if you play Hearthstone. It's what happens when this card leaves the field. So the way the Instatued Seraph works is at the end of your turn, it gets destroyed. And with the last words effect, it gets reborn in a new form where it, you know, it keeps evolving on turn after turn after turn after turn until it becomes the Seraph Lapis, Glory B, where its last words are win the match. So when you play the Instatued Seraph, you start a countdown of in, I don't know exactly how many forms they didn't specify, but let's say eight turns, I'm going to win this match. There's nothing you can do. You can't destroy it because if you destroy the card, you just activate its effect and you speed up the countdown. And there's very little ways to remove the artifacts in the game. And a lot of this is balanced out because you can only have five cards being played. So you have to choose between active monsters and these permanent artifacts. Again, it's very well balanced from uh, some of the articles I've read. And like initially you're like, well, this is fucking broken because you can then combo into it to, as he said, I can play the tier one version of it on one turn and then through my own card abilities, I can win the game on the very next turn. So like, it seems broken, but then he break his, broke, broke it down. He's like, no, no, no. Every deck has a way to be broken in this. And I love that because so many times in these card games, we see you know this really powerful legendary effect that unbalances the game. And the approach is, well, we have to nerf that. Whereas it looks like what they've done here with Shadowverse is, no, let's put more of those in there. And I love this because, yes, it's frustrating to lose to one of these overpowered tactics. But if it's a game you're playing casually, I particularly don't care. And it's so fun to build these decks around these crazy, powerful concepts that in Hex, like you can do it in PvE (laughs) more reliably than PvP or in Magic. Like you just can't build a deck around like this really cool, really powerful card because you can't make it work. And I really appreciate that they put these incredibly overpowered abilities and numerous of them and ways to make them work. They they showed off some other combos. Uh, What is it? An amulet called the Path to Purgatory deals six damage to every enemy at the end of your turn if you have at least 30 shadows. Shadows are, you know, the cards that are in your graveyard. Well, if you only have 40 cards in your deck, getting 30 cards into your graveyard is not an easy feat. So they're talking about how you can combo it with mills and uh, being able to summon uh, multiple creatures in one card that if you can get to that condition, you, you essentially have a free board clear every turn in addition to dealing six damage to your enemy every turn. So there's a lot of these insane combos that you can set up that I adore. Like, And I, I'm sure you do too, Roger, of having that one card and you look at it and go how can i put 39 other cards yep. well yep yeah 37 because you can have three copies of it how can i put 37 other cards around this to make it work and this is a game that dives into that pool and goes we're going to give you all these options and if you go up against a deck that can do that crazy shit well you have the opportunity to do your own different crazy shit because all the different classes, all the different play styles, they all have these really cool tactics that can work. Now, I mean, you can also play standard on your way to your crazy wind condition, but it, it, there's just so much cool stuff that they do here that it's 
I don't know how how it works from a competitive standpoint. I, I, I like I said I haven't played it myself, but from somebody who likes to play casually and gets to see some cool shit go down, I, I'm I'm very interested. Like I said, I'm going to be installing it tonight. Like you make the pool analogy, they don't just toss you in the deep end of the pool. They say you're not going to need these water wings. <laughs> Take that shit off, and then they throw you. In. <laughs> I and the pool is lava. Yeah. <laughs> When we had initially talked about it on the podcast, I know that especially Joe was making comments of essentially kind of like, eh, it's pretty much Hearthstone, trying to be Hearthstone. And then when I tried it and I played it, I realized that for me personally at least, while it uses some mechanics that we've seen in Hearthstone, it did not feel like Hearthstone at all. And that's in large part because of the complexity that's in it because of the synergy that's required with all of your characters, the fact that you are so limited to what you can do on the board, and then having to work with evolving cards as well, which plays a huge factor in mm-hmm. your win-lose scenarios. Like, there's a ton of stuff going on here that is really, really cool. And luckily, there's not a ton of anime bullshit. There's some anime bullshit, but it's offset by the fact that it's not just massive chested women. It's massive chested dudes with their shirts open, too. But for the most part, it's it's not like that. Some are, anime bullshit is fine. The yeah, exactly. It's, it's all, all exactly. That's exactly it. So and I like that. And this was brought up as well in the articles like. They're darker stories for your your PVE stuff that you're doing because you're playing as these characters and it's not your happy-go-lucky stories here of wanting to vanquish the foe and be the good knight kind of thing. No, it's pretty fucking dark in some cases and I dig it. I love the style of it. I love the look of it. I love the gameplay mechanics. I love how it plays on a tablet. If I'm not mistaken, I read it's actually going to be coming out for Steam. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know. I think I read that. But like it's a it's actually a solid solid card game and I if it, once again, if it wasn't for Hex, it would be a lot higher on my my playlist. And as it is with the new expansion that came out, I am going to dive back in again because it was a goddamn fun card game. I really like it a lot. Good stuff. And then Joe linked me today. They were having a live stream on uh, Gwent. And that was fucking awesome as shit. You want to talk about a good looking game. The UI was gorgeous. The interface was gorgeous. The art on the cards was (laughs) spectacular. I love the deck building mechanic behind it. I loved how the cards looked with not not wasting a lot of space on the cards themselves for information about it, but displaying it underneath it kind of thing. There was a lot of things that I really like already kind of sold me on it. It was pretty awesome. So how much did you actually watch then Joe? Cause I know you had a meeting. I went back and I watched a bunch of it and it looks like from what I can see here, um, they kept really true to how Gwent was in the Witcher three. Uh, they just kind of expanded upon it a little bit. Uh, and change some of the things, tweak the UI a little bit, and change some of the artwork on the cards, like uh, how disloyal cards are visible. In Witcher 3, it was really, really difficult to tell which were your disloyal cards. Now, disloyalty in this game is um, 
you basically play a card, but to play by playing that card, you're giving your opponent a point uh, or two points, depending on what the type of card is. But you get something in return, whether it's like an extra powerful card or it's going to wipe the board or, uh, or a row or something like that on their side or it's going to reverse a weather effect. Uh, it's it was really nice to see, like even that little tiny red eye makes it so much easier to point those out on the board uh, because Gwent is a game that I like to describe as chess for card games. Even though you build a deck like it, let me give a basic rundown for people that don't know what it is. Yes, you build a deck, but it's a fantasy style game where there are three row three rows. You have your melee, your ranged and your siege. Um, when you build your deck at the beginning of the game, you draw 10 cards uh, basically each game is three rounds where you play cards from those 10 cards that you have drawn and you have to win a number like each round by those points as you play it. And for the it, most part, those 10 cards are what you've got. That's it. That's all you get. So there's not an incentive like there is a magic to play a hundred card deck or, or whatever the case is. Um, and there are some caveats too. like each deck has to have 22 unit cards. Uh, you can only have four silver quality cards. Uh, you can only have or six silver quality cards and four gold quality cards, which are like uncommons and rares. Um, and you can have different character cards in the decks that do special things. Um, it's really cool because you it encourages you to play smart because you don't want to just throw all your hand out because you win one round, but you lose two. And in some cases, it's actually more beneficial to you to voluntarily lose a round so that you can sweep the next one. It's it's a fantastically deep game. Like if you want to talk about favorite card games, if this was a real world card game, this would be what I would play all the time. Now that it's going to be a video game, I'm going to turn into fucking Roger. And <laughs> this is my this is my crime. never go full Roger. This 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 will make me go full Roger. But it's it's one of those beautiful things where I don't know, it's 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 easy to learn how to play, but it takes a very long time to master. It's quite possibly the most simple card game I've ever seen since Solitaire. But minutes to learn, years to master is the easiest way to say it. They did say as well that for the solo mode, which there's going to be a solo mode in this as well, there's going to be like comic book style cutscenes added to it as well. So they luckily that means they are looking at some form of play against an AI as well kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. and there's going to be invites to the beta going out uh, starting tomorrow. So that's, Oh going to God, be I hope I get one. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they've, they've added, they've added a bunch of new factions to it too. Like in the original one, there was only four factions. Now there's a whole bunch of other factions. There's a whole bunch of new characters. They're drawing characters into the cards that were like to describe the artwork of the cards. They're like super hyper stylized, tarot cards so they have like characters and npcs from the game that are leaders or are generals or are special characters and conditions in gwent like you know you can draw Geralt, you can draw basically any npc you've ever encountered in in the entirety of the series is represented in card form and there are an infinite number of deck styles that you can build and different mechanics you can center them around it's like, yeah, I can't I can't say enough how much I want this. Like, if I get the beta tomorrow, you are not going to hear from me for weeks. Like, I'm just going to be like sitting in front of my TV. I'm sorry. Yeah, it does look cool. I, again, I, I love the look of it. Uh, they also said, too, there's going to be like an in-game currency as well as a way to 
buy cards with real money. So they're, that's good, again, allowing people to just to play to make their money to be able to buy cards with that as well. So it's very cool. We got a bunch of trailers that dropped this week as well, well, last week and this week, that are really fucking cool that we need to talk about briefly as well. The first one, of course, was the Red Dead Redemption 2 trailer, which, as Joe says, is quite likely going to be a Magnificent 7 game, which we're all all right with. Yeah, sign me up. Oh, yeah, and plus I'm one of those people that, like, sat there and, like, broke down the trailer and, like, slow-moed and rewound and did all this other stuff with it, and I thought it was really cool, like, the scene where they're all riding towards the camera and then past the camera that very old style cinematic scene of like the gang riding off into doing whatever they're going to do uh you can see like they're all dressed differently and if you actually like put the still down you can see like some of them are dressed a little more fancier than other people one of them looks like he's actually wearing like cherokee traditional clothing for the time period the i have been waiting for this game for fucking years years Red Dead Redemption was one of my all-time, like, top top 10, 15 games easily. The fact that they're doing this, it looks like they're calling on all the Spaghetti Westerns, Magnificent Seven, where I hope they're going to implement some, like, GTA V-style character swapping, where you can go between the different characters to complete oh, different mission objectives. I guarantee there's going to be a full online oh, There better too. be. There better be. They're fucking better. Saddle be. up the posse. Hell yes. <laughs> I mean, between that and 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 the, uh, I like the the fact that you could actually see oil fields in here, which means that we're actually probably going to be out in the Midwest, not necessarily the the West West. Uh, if I had a hazard to guess, probably Montana, because during the 1880s there were actually uh, moving Indian tribes around for oil uh, on the Cherokee lands. Um, and it seems like that might play a part in here because there's a bunch of scenes that actually show like the very, very old school oil rigs. And it looks like there's a couple boom towns that you go through that popped up when, you know, they struck black gold. Um, there's so much cool shit in this trailer that if they deliver on half of it, I'm going to be a happy fucking camper. I, I would love to see a co-op that is whether it's couch co-op or online co-op where you can have say up to four or five even. It doesn't have to be the full team, but just a, a few and then whatever the rest are just taken up as as AI where you mm-hmm. can do a variety of missions together. You choose which character you want to play as for that mission. And again, going back to this idea that we were talking about earlier in the show, haha, see, synergy, wrapping it all around to the idea of, you know what? I've got a half hour to play. You want to bounce into... Red Dead 2 and we'll do whatever the daily mission is or whatever kind of thing and choose your character, bounce in, do it, earn your in-game gold or currency, whatever it is, and then go from there. I would love to see something like that well implemented. So, and then there was, I know we said that we probably wouldn't talk about Horizon Zero Dawn much more, but fuck that trailer. The, the, the video <laughs> was awesome where they talked about the mechanics of the mechanical creature and and how they studied for it and whatnot to make it realistic. I thought it was freaking brilliant. Joe, I'm assuming you watched that today? Oh, God, yeah, I watched the hell out of it. I think it's... The cool thing about it is... uh, One of the things I liked about Far Cry Primal is the fact that you felt, for lack of a better term, weak when it came to the wildlife. Like, fighting a saber-toothed tiger was, you know, a pain in the goddamn dick. It was was scary. As it it should be. As it should be. <laughs> in here, it's one of those things where it would have been really easy for them to go an over-the-top action game where you're like, you're this uber-powerful, like, 
character fighting against these weird techno hybrid and biological creations. No, these things are fucking scary. Everything is fucking scary. Um, the the we saw new things that we haven't seen before, like the alligators that travel in those packs are awesome. Instead of, this, the snap maws. Oh, my God. They're vicious. They're absolutely vicious. Um, the shell walkers, which I thought was really, really cool. And the fact that they talked about the evolution of it, um, which are basically like mechanical crabs that carry loot crates on their back where like you have to kill you like you hunt them so that you can steal their loot crate. Um, you know, and it, how it was actually modeled after real life crabs and how they. Uh, they take care of like their like carrying loads and things like that. I thought that was kind of cool. And then the tall necks, I think they were, or what do they call the mega talls? They had some weird name for like the giraffe things with like the flat tops. Yeah, those are the ones that I talked about the last time when we talked about that. Yeah, it, it looks like a, so the saucer cool. from uh, the Enterprise. Yeah, yeah. And then, it, but I thought it was cool too was when they used that to show um, the override feature, which is yes. something that. We've talked about a little bit, but you got to see how some of that interacts. And the override feature is uh, Eloy uh, can actually, once she defeats something or gets into a vulnerable spot on one of the creatures uh, after much deft maneuvering, she can actually override it and make it friendly for a little bit. She tames it and then gets certain abilities. And with those super tall things, she actually gets the lay of the land. Those are fucking satellite dishes on their heads. They actually survey the land. They know where all the other creatures are. They have maps on top of them. And it was cool because it was like this sort of Microsoft Surface style uh, or Microsoft uh, HoloLens style like map that came up and showed the area when when she did the override. It was absolutely fascinating. And I really do enjoy the fact that all of these creatures were inspired not just by fantasy, but real world creatures. And they're trying to mirror sort of the ecologies that these creatures live in. That's horrendously huge. Like I figured there'd be something like that where they kind of create their own thing. But the fact that the the amount of study that they're putting into these creations, the amount of just, I guess, detail they're putting into how these things live well, is the, phenomenal. The thing that's good about that, too, is that if they had done like you were saying and just kind of created creatures and slapped them in and, and whatnot, then, yes, we as players going in would have potentially thought, OK, yeah, this is cool and whatever and get in. But then there's always that, that the possibility that it's like it just doesn't feel quite right. But by mirroring things that we know from our reality, it creates just enough of a tie for us that we can relate to then that makes it that much more believable when you are watching it on the screen. And we got a lot more on this video showing a multitude of creatures. And it was very much that as I'm watching, it's like that looks very much like this creature. That looks very much like this. It makes sense when you're looking at it moves, moving around. Plus, it makes a lot of sense then when you're seeing her fighting it, you know, the different things that she's doing to, to fight against these creatures makes sense in terms of what we would expect, you know, uh, one of a uh, human, not one of us. We're all lazy slack asses, real <laughs> hunters fighting these creatures. And that's kind of cool. If you see any of the three of us in a post-apocalypse, you're fucked. Yeah, we're, we're yeah. <laughs> run like hell in the other direction. <laughs> but I loved it. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this this video as well, and this goes back to when we talked about it, we've talked about it often, but we've talked about it, and one of the things that I was a little worried about was, yes, they've created this phenomenal world, but are they just going to drop us in it, and then we are just going to be playing a game? Or 
have they invested enough in the backstory and are going to be touching on those things so that we are then invested in that world as well. And apparently it would look like we are like they, they, they were talking about the different things of why there was this like robot uprising thing and Mm -hmm. what's going on. And it's not just that humans are lower on the pecking order. It's there's reasons behind all of that. So if we get to see that in any way, shape or form, that would be idea. I like, again, with each goddamn video, more and more excited for this. This is where I have that gift plane of, you know, uh, Stephen Colbert going, give it to me. Give it to me, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And then just today, I saw this live action trailer for Dishonored 2. Yet another game that we're all in already. Like you fucking, you had us as soon as you announced the game was coming out. (laughs) All we needed was the title screen, really. Oh, yeah. This live action trailer was spectacular. It was amazing. Like I said in the pre-show, they actually showed a portion of it during last night's Walking Dead. And I didn't think too much of it because I was like, it's, they said, I already know I'm buying the game. So I wasn't, actually didn't want to pay too much attention to it, but Watching it, I thought it was in-game, so I was like, man, the game's looking really good, but I think that's also the credit of they did a really good job of replicating the game in live action. Yeah, yeah, they did some like ridiculous CG rotoscoping, and mm-hmm. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Did Are you still playing Destiny, Joe? I am, actually. So are you going to be <laughs> doing any of this Halloween event? Uh, yeah, actually, I have a, a group of friends that we're going to be doing it Wednesday night. We're going to go through and, and do some of the Halloween missions and try to get ourselves matching uh, wolfhound, uh, howling, hologram mask type things. I, I always I like the Festival of the Lost. I think it's one of the cooler things in Destiny simply because the, the Citadel gets completely reworked. A lot of the locations in the game get completely reworked with cosmetic appearances um, and there's like just lots of fun, cool stuff to add in, whether it's new dances, new stances, taunts, uh, cosmetic stuff, uh, but also the little things. Like one of the things that really blew me away last year was the audio engineering in the tower itself. Like when you're just standing around and the the weird noises and voices that you would hear echoing throughout the entire zone. Or I saw a random ghost the one day. I'm just chilling in the tower and like there's this thing that's not quite there, but kind of there. And it's not a player character and it's kind of bamfing all over the place. Uh, and also this one appears this year. You could dress up your ghost in a ghost costume. So you could actually have a little <laughs> tank of the blinds cut out of it, which is absolutely hysterical. That's awesome. Oh man. I, again, I really dig the stuff from destiny when they were doing their, their holiday events or their whatever's. And again, it's, I, I have still a lot of love for this game, and if there was time permitting and money, I'd be playing this as well. But the cosmetic stuff for this, to the point of cosmetic th- things for the weapons as well, mm-hmm. fuck, looks goddamn good. I was impressed. Turn your fire alarm off. <laughs> That's not me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Lastly, I was talking about this on Twitter. I think I pretty much showed how excited I am. <laughs> it's the world of Final <laughs> Fantasy uh, demo dropped. It dropped earlier in the week for PS4, and then it took a while for it to finally hit for the Vita, but I played it over the course of the weekend. Now, this was one of those games that it's like, the more I, wa- I saw of it, it was like, oh, this 
seems really cool. It might be a lot of fun. And then the fact that it's like, again, Pokemon and in Final Fantasy was like, okay, I'm that sounds really cool. Stacking mystics on your head, weird as shit, but it's a Japanese game. So, all right, I'll roll with it. And so I downloaded it and I played it on my Vita. First of all, gorgeous, beautiful game. Now, the stuff that you get for the demo, they call it a dungeon. I don't know if that's what it's actually going to be like in the release or if they specifically tooled this just for this encounter to show off combat because that's essentially all you're doing. You're wandering around and you do your combat. So now we saw that there's like the three different styles. There's the anime style, there's the Kingdom Hearts look, and then the Chibis. And... I didn't see anything anime style, but you play either as the Kingdom Hearts appearance or the Chibis, and you can switch between them very easily. And each one of them can have uh, different mystics as their team. So the, for fuck's sakes, who's messaging me? Did I, did we lose somebody? Keep going. Lost somebody. Okay, then it's not important. <laughs> Motherfucker, don't message me when I'm talking. <laughs> it's hard enough for me to keep... Oh, it's Vince saying be right back. Motherfucker. Okay, so anyway, so you can switch between the, the, the different styles for each character, and then each of them can have different teams, which is a, a neat mechanic for you to very easily switch out between teams. And you wind up playing as as the two characters, the, the young girl and the, and the guy, I don't know what their names are, and then you can switch up between both of them for the, the chibis or the, the, the Kingdom Hearts thing. And so you wander around and you basically, it's very, very much Pokemon, where it's like going through the tall grass and something comes out to attack you. The the battle system is way ahead of Pokemon. Like it's it's you build up your your attack power over time, so you you it kind of fluctuates who's gonna play when. And then what's cool is that it's fucking bizarre because again you, you're doing your battling and you got like two mystics on your head <laughs> bounced on your head. It's it's ridiculous looking. Although if you get some of them that are big, they kind of act like mounts. If you put them on your chibi team and your dude sits on top of them, it's like oh my god, it's glorious. And so you can either stack up to hit for more, or you can unstack and then everybody gets a turn with their own attacks as well. And so. And then very much like Pokemon, once they get low in health, you can you can imprism them, they call it. And uh, and that's that. So the the fighting mechanic behind it, cool as shit. I absolutely adored it. You can even fast forward very easily with the, the bumper to through the, the special spell anima- animatics and stuff like that. You know what I mean. Um, very, very cool stuff. So I get to the end, and by this point I'm thinking... Well, I haven't seen enough to be completely sold on it, but I really like what I'm seeing and how it's playing. And then when you get to the f- to the end of it, there's a portal to go to the boss fight, and there's four chests. And then the chests along the way have given you, like, potions and different shit like that. So I open one chest, and it's a fucking cinematic trailer. That was glorious! <laughs> And suddenly I'm seeing all of the extra shit that's going to be in the game that we didn't get in this demo. And I was like, that's amazing. Holy shit. Open up another chest, another goddamn cinematic. And I'm going, all right, you got me. I'm sold. I'm like, this is awesome. 
run across to the other side, open up another chest, another cinematic trailer. <laughs> and I'm like, God damn. And then you go to the last chest and it's another. And it was like, you had me at the first chest. <laughs> then I go into the boss battle and it's this female mystic. It looks very much like a, a young woman kind of thing. And she's got fire all over the damn place. And it's like, okay. And you really have to use your abilities properly and and unstack or restack. And it was like I was really trying, which was nice. And I had found a, a wolf, a fucking wolf. And I'm going like, <laughs> God damn, is this a common or is this rare? It has to be common because it's a demo. They wouldn't give me something that awesome right away. And sure enough, I saw some more later on. But it's a fucking wolf that your chibi rides on. And it was like, God damn. I get to this boss fight and you get to the end and you can capture the motherfucker. And you can you fight bosses and then you can capture them. And I was like, oh, my God. Okay. All right. I I was already sold. I'm sold more. And then another fucking trailer at the end. I was like... I pulled up the store right away to try to pre-order the fucking thing, but they don't have the pre-order ready. I checked the web. <laughs> this is how devoted I was at this point. I'm like, fuck this shit. I went to the computer, sat down, brought up their web store, looked, and it wasn't available there either. And then I was pissed off and I bitched at Square Enix on Twitter saying, come on, people, get, like, make it available for pre-order. <laughs> That's how sold I am on this just from that demo. It was fucking awesome. I loved it. I mean, the Pokemon games have always been very fun, very solid games that over the years, you know, have been criticized for kind of, I don't want to say phoning it in, but taking. Oh, no, no, you you can say phoning it in, (laughs) but, you know, never really, you know, raising the production values and whatnot. And we've seen so many other companies try to cash in on that Pokemon play style and not be able to pull it off. So here we have what is a a very, very solid Pokemon-styled game, but with Square Enix production values, and I am so happy you've fallen in love with this stupid little game. I saw your little tweet earlier, too, about the Xenogears Mirage. Yeah, oh, God, yes. (laughs) There's Mirages, the the little guys you can capture in this game, not just from the Final Fantasy series. There's uh, the robot from Einhander is in there. I'm sure there's others. But, yes, the actual Xenogear mech, you can capture it to be one of the large, uh, What I've already forgotten the word, mirages that you can ride on. Done. I'm in. Again, I thought the wolf was was spectacular. And then you realize you can get transforming mechs. And then, well, not just that, dude. When you see the trailers at the end and you're seeing all the other mirages. I can't remember. I know it's mirages, but I thought they also called it mystics. Maybe I imagine that. Maybe it is just mirages. But you see the other mirages that are unbelievable. Like... I, I'm looking at these going, you can catch that shit? Like, god <laughs> damn. Like, it Fuck makes you, Bulbasaur. Yeah, really. makes legendaries and Pokemon <laughs> look like crap. Like, it just looked amazing. So, yeah, it was, again, it, it was a combination of that final fight in the trailers and everything showing me what is, in fact, coming. And, and it wasn't just about uh, battles either. The, a lot of the trailers were actually. The, the gameplay, the messing around and talking to other characters and things like that. 
because they show a lot of chibi versions of different characters like Cloud and whatnot in different spots that you can talk to. And this, they said, I got nothing to say to you right now, but it will, there will be questing with those as well. So one of the things that I've bitched about with Pokemon for so long is that it's the same goddamn story every time. Here we're going to have much better combat, way cooler fucking Pokemons, and presumably pretty interesting quest lines. Because some of the cinematics, when they're showing even just the in-between stuff, like, it looks really, really cool. So, yeah, that's coming out at midnight tonight, and guess where I'll be? (laughs) Sitting on the can playing. (laughs) And with that, we were going to call it a wrap for tonight. Thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at ForTheLore.com, of course, and you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. You can also find us on Twitter at ForTheLore or individually, Joe is Loaders at J, Vince is Simodian, and I am Zen Buddhist. And with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Well, that long black train got my baby and gone. Thank you for listening to For the Lore. Each week, the show is broadcast live on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern. Stop by forthelore.com slash live to join the conversation and have your thoughts discussed on the show. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Comic Book Informer, a weekly podcast from Vince and Roger, as well as Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast. And lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. We encourage everyone to check out his site, ManelliJamal.com, or find him on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs. Well, it's bringing my baby. Cause she's my, oh, oh, my, she's my, oh, oh, my.